moving your career further faster. That's the mission behind Cascading Leadership. Each week, we're bringing you stories of women, immigrants, members of the global majority who have risen to the ranks of senior leadership in the world of business. Get ready to gather the insights of some of the world's best business leaders and apply those to your career. If you're interested in sales and marketing effectiveness, organizational effectiveness, talent strategy, DEI, or HR tech, tune in. We're going to share with you what they don't teach you in business school. Welcome to the show. Welcome to today's episode of Cascading Leadership. We are in for a treat because we have one of the best marketing, SDR, sales leaders, thought leaders that uh, we've ever had on the show. This is going to be part of our sales and marketing effectiveness series. And I'd like to welcome Andy Culligan to the show. So welcome aboard, Andy. I've watched you for quite a while now, and you've done a lot of presentations on marketing roles and driving the revenue cycle, how SDRs and AEs can be more effective. So I'm super excited to have you on the show and give us some best practices across that entire revenue spectrum on how people can be more effective. So super pumped to have you on. For those listening to the show, write down the over under on number of swears that Andy drops out there. And uh, I don't know, the winner will have some sort of prize. You can just message me privately and I'll get that out to you. Great to have you on board. I think a good place for us to start is have you tell us a little bit about your story and your journey to this point. And then that will be a great springboard for us to continue the conversation into the main topic. Sounds good. First of all, I just want to say for the record, it's complete bullshit that I swear. I don't, I don't know why you've been watching, Jim, but it's all propaganda. So yeah, so I tend to see it, tell it how I see it. That's just how I am. So let me give you a bit of my background just to set the scene a little bit. I started my career, I studied marketing, but I, I'd always done quite a bit of selling throughout my childhood. It's probably too strong a word, but I, I started working when I was about 13 and did some level of sales or marketing all the way up from when I was about 13 onwards. So it's been really in my blood since I've been quite young. I started my career after doing proper studying. I started my career as an SDR. Um, so I went into the sales world immediately after studying marketing. The reason for that is because I wanted to earn less money. I wanted to earn more money being in sales <laughs> and not earn less money being in marketing. And so I did the SDR thing for a little bit of time and then did account management. And then I decided after earning so much money doing that, I wanted to earn less money. So I went into marketing. I, I then started doing marketing across a number of multinational businesses and really sort of between the marketing and the sales bit, I, saw, I learned quite a bit in terms of technology. So this was early on in my career when I started getting involved in tech. So probably in 2000, 2008, I started getting involved in marketing automation, which was super early. So we're talking like 15 years ago in terms of marketing automation. There wasn't a huge amount out in the market. And I was working with a company and we built a product that was like a competitor to Groupon, but in Ireland. Our main channel needs email. And we were like, we, we can't afford an email tool. So we built our own. Super piece of shit. That's number two, by the way. It wasn't a very good tool, but we built it ourselves anyway, myself and a developer. And we managed to do email marketing that way. And I learned a little bit out of that. And then after a while, I, I went towards this multinational route where I started working multinational organization. They brought me on as a marketing automation person, just because of that experience that I had in running those larger marketing campaigns via email mostly. But I, I then got my hands on Marketo at a very early stage. So if anybody's aware of Marketo, it was bought by Adobe a couple yep. of years. And very comprehensive marketing automation tool, probably the most advanced B2B marketing automation tool out there. 
Um, I've used them all mostly, and that that is by far the, the most advanced, right? Became the company champion for that. Imagine this now. This is like 2010, right? So 2000, 2010, 2011. So super early on in the Marketo journey. Really only lead scoring and marketing email, really. But I, I really got it. Like I, I really understood the, the entire integration there with Salesforce, et cetera. So really started to get myself interested. After a number of years of running different marketing campaigns, et cetera, I then moved into the tech space myself, working for a marketing automation company, which is Amarsis, which has just recently been acquired by SAP. Brought in there as like a lead gen person, lead management, let's call it. And then um, at that particular point in time, the company had taken on quite a considerable amount of funding to go into the US space. We, we had a lot of money to burn, so we burnt a lot of cash which means that we made a huge amount of mistakes, my, myself included. Right? We had the money to make mistakes, so we did it. We did a lot of testing and different things. It was super interesting. But uh, I then built my way up to being like the global head of demand generation on Amarsis. So I had a global team there of about 20 people, which was based all over the world, really. So Asia, US, Europe. I was brought up pretty quickly in terms of how to run global lead gen demand generation programs and um, for tech companies. My career skyrocketed from there, went to another company called Exponia, was a VP of marketing there. They've just literally just been acquired by Bloomreach and ran the, glo- ran the global marketing function there, including the SDRs as well. They also reported it into the marketing org. And then on top of that, then follow it, following Exponia after growing that, like we forex the revenue in the space of two years, which was uh, a wild ride to say the least, but it was very interesting opening up offices. We, we grew from about 50 people when I first joined. And when I was leaving, we had nearly 400 people. So it was quite rapid growth of employees, but quite rapid growth of revenue as well. And then uh, from there on in, I, I, I joined a company called Leadfeeder. That's, I think, where we met, Jim. Yep. Um, I was a CMO of Leadfeeder for a number of years. Again, we we doubled the revenue in a very short space of time there as well. That was up until May of last year. And then I went, I said to myself, you know what? I want to start my own thing. So I started my own business based on the experience that I have in the tech space, working with a number of different companies, fast growing, fast paced SaaS companies. And uh, there's a lot of companies out there that are looking to grow, but they just don't really know how. And I bring the know-how in terms of how to build sales teams, how to build marketing teams, what are the right things to focus on? What are the wrong things to focus on? Like I, I, I literally lift up the bonnet and take a look and tell you, hey, look, you shouldn't do that, but do this instead and that will work a little bit better because I've had the luxury of having made those mistakes throughout my career, having had VC money, for example, yeah. being able to make a lot of mistakes. And uh, yeah, that's been going really well. I've got a number of clients across the globe right now that I'm working with on a daily basis. I'm kept out of trouble. That, that's a great rundown of your journey. And I think one of the important things for the audience to be aware of, and this is what's going to make this conversation especially interesting. Andy's been able to drive results in resource poor and resource rich environments. One of the things, if you you can find Andy all over the place, he's on LinkedIn everywhere. But one of the things that that caught my attention very early on when I met Andy, I I don't know why I'm talking about you in the third person when I met you. um, I like it though. It's a bit (laughs) like I'm on This Is Your Life or something. Just Keep going, Jim. Keep going. So one of the things that that I found really interesting about you, Andy, is that when one of the first conversations that I sat in on that you presented, you had a three by five note card with five things that were handwritten down that said, look, if you're in a resource poor environment and you still need to accelerate your bookings and try to expand your reach, here's the tech stack that is less than $100 that you can spend or something to that effect. 
And this is how you can actually grow rapidly in a resource poor environment. So I think that provides an interesting context to all the things that you're talking about. You've been involved in a venture backed operations, you've been involved in high growth or uh, operations, and you've also been able to be successful in very lean organizations. And I think that has broad appeal to a number of audiences that we're going to be talking to about the integration of sales and marketing and how you become an effective SDR and AE in, in driving that process forward. Obviously, if you have more resources, that's better than less. But you know, I want to take away the excuse from some people that you need to have like this giant tech stack to be effective. So let's touch on that for a second. Yeah. Sorry to cut across you. That's a no-go podcast lens. You can slap me on the wrist for that. My apologies. But <laughs> I, I, I think it's important just so people know. I fully agree with that. I hate the excuse. This is an important word. The excuse of not having enough resource to do something. Because I know teams that have plenty of resource and they're not doing enough, right? They're, they're really not doing enough. And I know really tiny teams that are managing to absolutely smash it. Like example, let me go to a couple of examples and I can back it up with numbers. Okay, yep. so let's talk about one of the companies that I'm working with right now. Super small team, bootstrapped, around for 20 years, 15 million ARR. They have one salesperson, one SDR and one marketer. Okay, I'm not the one marketer, so two marketers if you include me. So one and a half marketers, let's say. So they are managing to book five meetings a week with top level like enterprise organizations based on that size of a team. No VC money, no crazy like throw money out the door, no money, no massive money to go testing. We're just focusing on doing some of the right things and doing the right things well and making sure that we're keeping it simple. Okay, I know team 20 people that are not able to book five meetings. It's hard, but if you're doing the right things, it can work. The same goes for when I was at Lead Feeder, we had a super lean team. We're like Lead Feeder, we managed to double the size of the organization in terms of revenue during COVID when everybody was trying to tighten their belts, including ourselves. We cut down our, our, we cut back our marketing spend from something like, let's say, between 70 to 100K to 25K a month and still manage to grow the business by 5% month on month in terms of the uh, monthly recurring revenue. So it was, if you're willing to do it and roll up the sleeves and get your hands dirty and get stuff done and get stuff done well, then it doesn't matter. You can only have a handful of people and you'll do better in a lot of the times than a team that has 25 people that are not running the right direction. I, I love that point about the, the 111 structure that you had. One yeah. SDR, one marketer, one AE. I was able to execute a version of that with just one marketer and one AE, and I was the AE. And Andy and I run in the same communities. Andy's in the full, full funnel group. I hooked up with Vlad and Andre, and we were tackling this exact problem for a previous organization that I was working at. So we figured out a way to do it. And I adopted the role of both AE and SDR on my outreach. And in using that formula with my marketing counterpart, we were able to book 50 meetings in a two-week period running a couple of plays that were tied to stuff that you talked about and Vlad talked about and Andre talked about. So the idea that, you know, hey, you need all of these resources, I, I think it's BS, just like you do. So Let's talk about how do you actually pull all of this stuff out? So I'll lay out the scenario. Let's say you're in a moderate resourcing environment. You have a decent marketing footprint that puts out content. You have a group of SDRs and you have a group of AEs 
And what you want to do is accelerate the volume of meetings and bookings and start the sales process. So a lot of top of funnel stuff. But let's talk about the first problem. How can marketing be leveraged more effectively by an SDR or an AE to create more conversation? Okay, first step is always understanding if the SDRs know what marketing actually do. So SDRs are like the kindergarten of the organization. Okay, so like they're children, right? So they they are typically entry-level people that haven't had a huge amount of experience in the working world yet. That means that they haven't had any marketing experience or any exposure to marketing teams to understand the value of actually what they can get from the marketing team, okay? This also goes for things like lead generation. Like an SDR might not even know what lead generation means. So what I typically do is when I work together with an SDR or a team of SDRs that are quite green, what I do is I run a session called Marketing Marketing 101 is basically just entry level, bringing you through all of the different acronyms and all of the different bits and pieces in which marketing does, mostly focusing on the lead gen slash demand gen side of things, helping them understand the funnel. When we say that's a marketing qualified lead, what does that actually mean? And also setting the scene as well with conversion rates within the funnel. Because typically one of the things that I hear all the time, every SDR on the planet says, oh, I don't get enough leads. Or if you bring them too many leads, like all the leads I get are shit, right? They're, they're, the two, they're the two things that you normally hear. And I normally say, tell me about the leads that you're, that you're bringing in or how many leads you're getting. It's like, oh, I've got lots of leads, but they're all shitty. Okay, tell me about the shitty leads. How many are we talking? I don't know, maybe 30% of the leads that I'm being given are, are, are shitty. I'm like, okay, that's fantastic. That's really, I'm super stoked at that news that it's 30% because it should probably, depending on how you're running lead gen or if you're doing an ABM model, it might be a little bit different. But if you're doing a broad or top of funnel model where you're just bringing leads in through the door, I would anticipate something like 70% of those leads to be Mickey Mouse at DonaldDuck.com. Like a minimum of 70%, depending on how you're running your lead gen activities. And then it's almost like a light bulb goes off and they're like, oh, I didn't know that was the case because I didn't know that these benchmarks exist. This also goes for the same with the sales org, typically. They don't realize what the benchmarks are. So if you're able to, on a marketing level, be able to set the scene in the way that, like, be expecting a certain amount of shit to come in. Like, I'm promising you that there will be shit. Like, I cannot avoid that. That is 100% normal. If we're managing to bring in, let's say, 40% of the stuff that we're bringing in is within our ICP and the people that we can sell to. That's amazing. Let's have a pizza party. That's fantastic. So... Things like that, it's like, it's a teaching exercise at the beginning. So first of all, bring them through. What does marketing actually do? And what does marketing actually mean? What's lead gen? What's, what are the differences between lead gen and demand gen, for example? What are all of the different bits and pieces that we're working on as a marketing team? So are we doing things like analyst relations? What is analyst relations? There's these companies called Forrester and Garden. They produce wave reports, marketing quadruple, and you basically just teach them. It's like a university course, right? And I typically do that over two or three different sessions so that they're familiar with everything that marketing is doing, okay? And then I try to piece together, it's like, why is this important to you? Well, it's like, either you can go in completely cold into accounts and try to pick up the phone and not have any, and the, the, the person on the other end of the phone to not have any clue who you are, or you could lean on the marketing leads that are coming in that people are relatively warm, right? Now, I'm not promising the world and saying that these people are like ready to take our money immediately. If they are, that's amazing. You've got an amazing product. But typically, most companies when you're doing specific lead gen or, or anything like that and you're getting SDRs to do a follow-up, it's typically somebody's downloaded an ebook, they've been to a webinar, they've met them at an event. They've done some action that requires some level of follow-up. So, so I want to chime in right there. 
Um, so there's two key things that I want to split out. So there's a certain amount of leads that are better than others. And you should go in baked in expecting like 30% of your lead total lead volume to be decent, not great, yeah. decent. And then the rest, the 70% is probably not that great. So when you prioritize across either of those buckets, obviously you want to pick the warmest available option that ties to what you think your ideal customer looks like. So you mentioned ICP. So I'm just, just kind of breaking this stuff down so that people can follow along. But here's the question that I have for you. There's a mindset shift that I always advocate for because automatically when people see a lead, they think, oh, this person's ready to buy. And you, you hit on that right away. And in some cases that might be true, but 97% of your buyer pool is not interested or not aware of what you have. So for an SDR that gets a lead, knowing that only 3% of their market is ready to buy like right now, how do they approach the conversation to make it as effective as possible with that lead, regardless of whether they're in that 30% that's good or 70% that's less good? What's the mindset that they need to be in? You don't ask them to marry you on the first date. And that's always the thing. It's, it's so obvious sometimes. It's like it's, So the problem is, I think... A lot of the times you've got SDRs that are under a lot of pressure to get a lot, a lot of activity out the door and to get a, a lot of activity out the door and get quick results. You're not going to get quick results if you have large sales or large deal sizes, right? So the larger the deal size, the longer the sales cycle. I'm sorry, that's just how it is. That's life. So what you need to be doing is you need to be creating more touch points against those accounts. And you need to be trying to sell into other people on those accounts. So let's say, for example, Jim, you come and you download something, Okay. You might be just interested in learning a bit of the content, okay? I don't want an SDR to be going and being like, hey, Jim, come and watch a bit, come watch a demo of what we have to offer. I, I, I don't want that. I want that SDR to be going after Jim and being like, hey, did you find that piece of content interesting? Here's another piece of content that we've actually created, which is quite similar to this. Maybe it might be something of interest as well. And then at the same time, hey, Jim, I just want to connect with you on LinkedIn because I, I think the stuff that you're offering is pretty interesting. I want to follow it. In saying that, I'm going to like the stuff that you're posting on LinkedIn. I'm going to leave a comment here or there, which is interesting, right? Maybe what I'm going to do is as well, I'm going to work together with my marketing team to get you on our podcast because you're one of the, you're one of the people in this space that's got a good voice and I want you to come on and talk on our podcast. That's a real backdoor way of getting interest from prospects. You basically work on their ego, basically, by saying you sound great, so we'd like to have you on the podcast, right? You're hitting at so many things that's great and... I think one of the, and even the podcast element is a, is a good one, but I look at it from the core principle perspective. What you're talking about is how do you build a relationship with somebody who doesn't know you? You got to demonstrate interest and curiosity in what they're about. And your point about, I, I, I almost swore when you said you don't propose marriage on the first date. I, I, was, I almost did the hell effing yeah, but... See, I'm getting closer there. You're a bad influence on me, Andy. That's not true. You have to demonstrate genuine interest in why is this person even engaging with me at some level? Just because they download something doesn't mean they buy, but what do they gather out of it is the point that you're getting out at. So that's the right mindset. You have more experience in this than I do. I think where a lot of SDRs go wrong is that their out-of-the-box message is going to be, do you want to meet with me? I don't even know who the hell you are. Why would I meet with you? Yeah, I, I agree. So Let's talk about some of the things that SDRs are doing wrong. And this is like 90% of SDRs. Okay, so lead comes in, they put them into a sequence, which is spitting out a couple of different emails of 
12 paragraphs each around the value prop of what I have to offer as a product. As a prospect, delete. That's absolute shit. I, I don't care. Like I've got so much in my email inbox. I don't care. First of all, email, unless it's really focused and really good timing and really like nicely put together email. I'm not reading it. As a prospect, I'm not getting back to that. Maybe if it's really nicely put together, I'm, I'm not going to do it, right? But I think one of the problems is that SDRs nowadays have so many have so much access to cadencing tools. And the cadencing tools play a role, don't get me wrong, but it, it's one of the issues that I have with cadencing tools. It takes all of the personalization out of an approach towards, okay? It's basically, it's spraying out messages to everybody and just hoping that something sticks, Okay. If you throw enough shit at a wall, something's going to stick. This, this, I don't know what the counter is now, by the way, but I'm hoping somebody's going to be counting. I, I will, if somebody can guess it and somebody can give the right number, I will do a half hour free consultancy session with them on their marketing. I'd be happy to do it. <laughs> I, I think I think that's one thing is, is send an email that's just really poorly put together and just very long, no core structure to it. And it's just blasting it out to everybody that doesn't have any personalization. If we're talking about what a good email looks like, a good email is not just one email. It's a series of email plus other touch points in between. So I, I don't particularly like to look at any one channel. If any, Let's talk about some bad points in email. If an email is super long, I'm not reading it. If your email gets into your, your value prop immediately, not reading it. There's some interesting things that you can be doing with email. What I've seen is that works pretty nice is trying to, what you can do is don't have any, don't have any paragraphs in it. Have it really short. Have Andy or Jim and then have one paragraph have it as that don't even sign it off and send because that what that does it sticks out in your inbox you see that like that's a bit weird because nobody normally sends emails like that so what you want to be doing is just trying to disrupt somebody's normal pattern and that's that the same thing goes with cold calling the same thing goes with LinkedIn messages whatever it might be you're trying to create a disruption in somebody's day and by structuring an email that looks different to everything else you're creating a disruption when somebody's actually going through their email inbox. Well, that's email. If we talk about other channels that SDRs are using particularly badly, and everybody has had this, is connect on LinkedIn, accept LinkedIn connection, 20 seconds later, 12 paragraph long, like a uh, value proposition. I'm like, just pretend, like wait 20 minutes before you send me this shit. Just even pretend that you've put that together and you've sat down at your computer and written that. If somebody does that, I immediately block them. I'm like, connection request removed. It's like, yeah. so lazy. Dude, you, you are hitting on something that is a total pet peeve of mine. And that's pitch slapping. And, and we've talked about it before. It's like, where in the world would you just meet somebody for the first time? And again, that's a virtual example of proposing marriage with no authenticity. It's just, hey, you're somebody that might buy something from me. So let me just vomit up some stuff in, in front of you and see what happens. You might as well just walk up to somebody in real life and just throw up on their shoes. Yeah, I agree <laughs> with you. It's such a bad experience. It's like, and as I said, as a prospect, I immediately just like, I said, no, thanks. Like, I, like even if I connect, because I typically accept people's connection requests because I'm interested to see. It's always interesting to expand the network, whatever. Maybe something is in something interesting to say. But it's so obvious when you do this connection request accepted. Here's my value prop. Buy from me immediately. It's so bad. And then as well, one of the things that, that people aren't using well enough or SDRs aren't using at all, really, is this. Like, or that's my phone, by the way. So people are not using their phone. Cold calling basically does not exist anymore. I get one cold call a that's what I'm averaging out on. One cold call, I've got my phone number out in LinkedIn. Maybe I'm not that interested. That's that's fine. 
but I work with a number of different companies that would be interested in a lot of different technologies. Like I don't get called at all anymore and it's i think cold calling is dying out because people are afraid to do it it's like a lost art right people don't talk on the phone anymore you're getting into an area that i wanted to talk about because one of the internal things that i've seen as a people leader and and i've been banging this drum i'm also a dinosaur i still use the phone when i'm at work but our ratio our internal ratios emails to phone calls is like three to one and i look at it i i use an all options on the table approach to try to connect and build a relationship with somebody. So I always am like coaching my team that anytime that you send an email and you get some sort of trigger event, you should follow it up with another phone call. And ideally, every email that I send out, I would follow up with an email or a LinkedIn message or some sort of sequence that is tailored to the audience. So we talked about what's an effective email looks like. And I'm a big proponent of the email without scrolling version which is basically like four sentences and the reader doesn't have to scroll. What's that version of what a cold call looks like that will get more of a response? If people are afraid of the phones, they obviously need practice. So how should they think about cold calling in a way that drives results? What's the formula for that? We already talked about a formula for effective emailing. What does an effective cold call look like? Sure. So let's break it up into a couple of different things. So when and what? So the when, something that I've seen work quite nicely is, again, as I said to you before with email, you want to be disrupting somebody's normal pattern, right? So when I'm talking about a cold call, I'm disrupting somebody's day, okay? So you want to be disrupting it at a point where they may, they're probably going to be most likely to want to speak with you. There's not, many, there's not many people that want to get a cold call. There's not many people sitting there going, oh, I pray for cold call. I'd love to receive a cold call today. So mostly, most of the time you're picking up the phone to talk to somebody that does not want to talk to you. So you have a very, like, very limited window of opportunity to actually get somebody to want to listen to you. And <clears throat> typically, what I'm starting, not typically, but something that I'm starting to see work outside of working times is a really good time to, to be calling execs, by the way. So exec, this is within executives because during their day, they're super packed full of meetings. They're not going to be able to pick up the phone during a meeting, right? Calendar, My calendar, for example, has been blocked on calls from 1 p.m. today until 7 p.m. this evening. I don't have any breaks from 1 p.m. to 7 p.m. So I'm not going to be able to answer the phone. Right. So if you want to try to get somebody like me or you want to get you want to get an exec on the try calling them at between eight and nine in the morning or between six and seven. And try to get try those times and see if you can manage to get more connects because that, that's what you're trying to chase. You're trying to chase connects. OK, so you need to be you need to be trying a couple of different times outside of normal working hours. I'm not telling you to call people at the weekend, by the way. Don't call people at the weekend unless you want to get plenty of PFO. I'll let you guess what it's a please. <laughs> and then there's an off at the end of it. So yeah, if you want to avoid as many of those PFOs as possible, you don't want to be calling people at the weekend. But if you want to, if you if you want to try to change it up a little bit, try that and six to seven window because people are typically traveling in and out of the office at that point in time, and uh, it's normally a good time to get connects. So that's the when. And then if we want to focus on the what, the first thing that you say in that call and how confident you are in that first sentence is going to determine whether or not this person's going to want to talk to you. So there's one thing like a, you should not do. Don't try to fool that person into a conversation. Because if there's one thing that I hate when somebody tries to fool me into a conversation, I was skiing a couple of weeks back, a month ago, I was on holiday. 
I was, I was out skiing with my brother-in-law and my father-in-law. We went out, had a great day skiing. And I came back and I seen a missed call from a US number with a voicemail. So actually two missed calls from the same number and a voicemail. And it was, the voicemail said, hi, Andy, this is XYZ, James. I can't remember what the guy's name was, but this is James. I need you to call me back immediately. This is important. And I was like, oh shit, somebody's after dying or something. This is, this must be very serious. Two missed calls, one after the next, the double tap. So that person called me and I called him back and said, oh, hi, Andy. Great to hear from you. This is XYZ from data provider XYZ. I just wanted to see if you'd be interested in, in purchasing. Our eyes. Are you kidding me? You're after calling me. First of all, while I'm on vacation, you didn't know about it. That's fine. That's fine. I let you out. That's not your fault. But you've called me twice and left me a voicemail, basically with yourself out of breath and being like, you need to call me immediately because this is really important. I handed him his ass on a plate, unfortunately for him. It, and I told him, I told him, I gave him very detailed feedback. I'm not going to be somebody to give out to somebody. I gave him feedback, but that is a no. Don't try to create that type of urgency because it just, it's not going to work. What was the swear count on that conversation? Because I'm picturing <laughs> double digits in less than two minutes. I there was swearing, but I, I was very nice because I know how it is to be an SDR. Like I, I, I know how it is. It's a shitty job, right? It's, as I said, you get plenty of PFOs all day. So I, I, I wanted to give as good a feedback as I could. To, but at the same time, I was like, you need to like not do that because that's just going to end up pissing people off. Like I'm annoyed now. I'm on holiday and I'm annoyed because, and you're after ruining my last day of vacation because of this. Ruin is probably too strong of a word, but it pissed me off. And it, it was something that shouldn't, shouldn't happen. The critical lesson there is that if you're making cold calls, put yourself in the buyer's shoes and have a little sensitivity or empathy in what they're going to go through or how they're going to perceive. Like we as individuals, if we're on the end of that sort of conversation, we're going to be irritated as hell. You don't need tricks. So I still cold call. I don't have to, but I like, I'm one of those weird people that needs to be prospecting every day where uh, otherwise I get grumpy. One of my more effective cold calls is, hey, Andy, this is a cold call. You're not expecting me. Are you still good to talk? Can you give me 10 seconds? And some will say yes, some will say no. There's nothing wrong with being direct. So I I think the key thing, and you reference this in your email format, you have to introduce a pattern interrupt somewhere early. And a pattern interrupt is, in my opinion, is not a how are you. Nobody cares how you are. Like, I don't know you. (laughs) Don't ask me. So I, I think if you introduce that pattern interrupt early and then know what you have to say, hey, we helped a client XYZ CMO at your level at another company and we reduced their cost by 20%. Is that something that you would be interested in hearing more about? Maybe. One, 100%. So that's what you need to be doing. You need to announce yourself at the start of the conversation. So that was going to be when I was going to say, what should you start that call with? It should be exactly that, Jim. It should be, hi, this is Andy. I'm cold calling you right now. What, what is it going to take to be able to keep you on the phone for 10 seconds? Something like that. And it was you need to give me your best value. You need to give me your best value prop. So what you need to have then in your back pocket is for every buyer persona that you're going after, you need to have your elevator pitch. So if you're going after CMOs, you need to have your 15 second, 10 second, whatever it is, elevator pitch. So an elevator pitch is you're standing in an elevator with one of your buyers. How do you tell them what you do real quick and make them interested in what you have to, in what you do, right? In 10 seconds. So practice. It's going to be shitty the first couple of times you do it. It's inevitable, right? But you will better and better and it's funny you say it there jim just around like you doing your cold outreach all the time it's a muscle that needs to be if you don't flex that muscle you will lose it so you you need to keep on training that muscle and keep flexing it and keep on maintaining it otherwise you'll start to get into your own head a little bit and your value prop or your your elevator pitch will get a little bit sloppy 
Well, yeah. Introduce yourself or introduce why you or introduce the call that I'm going to call on call calling right now. What what would it take to keep you on the phone for 10 seconds? My value prop is that one of them. Yep. 10 seconds, 15 seconds. And no, at the end. You throw out a couple of key points on the problems that you solve for that persona that you're trying to reach out to. And then I'd like to have a deeper conversation with you and better understand what you're facing. Can we schedule something either later today or tomorrow? And you have that call to action. And then you, because the what's the objective of a cold call? What's the objective of a phone call to anybody that you've never talked to before? The objective of a phone call? Is- yeah. It's not to sell. It's huh. to book a sell. So that's an area where a lot of sellers, varying levels, get confused from time to time is that they get in the mindset that, hey, I'm making this call to sell something. No, you're making a call to build enough interest or engage enough curiosity to get a meeting. That's the objective. So that's really solid stuff. So that's assuming that you're just like spraying, praying, doing a volume play, trying to book stuff via email or or cold calls. How can you get more effective and more targeted and get better conversion ratios on basically the same thing. You still haven't had a relationship or a conversation with this person, but what can you do to warm those email outreaches or cold phone outreaches up so you have a better conversion rate into meetings? What are some of the things that you've seen? I don't know if you were on a couple of weeks ago on the full funnel summit talk that it wasn't even a talk that I did with with Andre, what we did was we did a, we did like basically a live session whereby we started looking into some intent data that they had and just started reaching out to low hanging fruit, right? So during, we were speaking, I don't know how many people were on the session, but there was a, so for people that don't know what we're talking about, there was an event a couple of weeks back. I was one of the speakers at the event. Andre, who runs the event, reached out to me and said, Hey, why don't we do something interesting on this, Andy? Why don't we try to do some live prospecting during the session? And I was like, this could either go really well or a complete disaster. So it went, it went really well. And what we did was we we started, we looked into their Albacross account, which is a competitor of Lead Feeder. If you're not familiar with Lead Feeder, Albacross, it's a reverse IP lookup tool. So it tells you which companies have been visiting your website, which pages they've been looking at, where they've come from, et cetera. So we went through their Albacross account, looked at some companies that have been visiting their profile and looked at some of the hotter prospects that have been coming. We don't have the exact person, but what we did, what, what we had was the company and how many times they visited, which pages they come through and so on. Right? So we looked at someone that had been on the website for like two hours right in the past week so really interesting they looked at like product pages as well as pricing pages etc what we started to do was was like okay let's look through the people from that company so what we did was we went to linkedin looked at that company on linkedin went through all of the different people we said okay who's our buyer persona for andre he was like oh, our buyer persona is normally demand gen head of marketing whatever it might be we started to dig in oh that person is is ahead of demand gen here let's try to figure out what they're trying to do so andre and co they're trying to sell account-based marketing packages to to their client base right so they help them with their account-based marketing this particular company what they were trying to do is move away from a, an smv approach to an enterprise approach we then figured out who the person was that was trying to do that transition via looking at everybody's different profile, understanding what their backgrounds were, et cetera. So we did the work, right? but we did it live. And what we did was we did some outreach to this guy and said, hey, I we know that you guys are trying to go from an SMB model to an enterprise. We've got ABM to be able to fix that. Here's an article. We're pretty sure that you've been looking at some of our other articles because we've seen what you've been doing 
snooping around on the website. It may not have been you, but it was somebody at your company. We reached out to that guy and we managed to book a meeting there and then, right? Yeah. So what we did was we spent 45 minutes researching the company, researching the people from that company, researching what's important, understanding their intent because we had that data to our own advantage. So we we had our own data. So if you're not using a tool like Leadfeed or Albacross, you should go and use them because they're super cheap. And it shows you which company has been visiting your website, where they've gone, where they've come from and so on. So it gives you some level of intent. So if people are looking at pricing. Hey, that's a company that might be interested in learning a little bit more because they're trying to figure out how much it costs. So they would be an interesting company for me to go and prospect. So yep. that's a low hanging fruit for me. And we booked a meeting and the guys that I believe the guys have managed to close it. There's a couple of really important things there. You're talking about intent data. And if you have any sort of CRM in place and some marketing enablement in place, you should be able to see who's been downloading what and looking at what. And that informs your intent data. That that creates an opportunity for you to have a warmer call. But before you make that call, you need to have a clear idea of, okay, who is the actual buyer and what do they care about? What inferences can you make based on what they've been reading or looking at? And how do you message it directly to the problem that you solve? And then that's how you get higher conversion rates. I'm summarizing. I, I think there's probably some other stuff in there, but that's the that's how I understood what you explained to me. And there's ways that you can do that across all sorts of different platforms. I'm big on building your own brand and, and having a particular point of view about the things that you offer as an individual or as a company. Usually it's both to generate interest in conversation across wherever you choose to do that. So that is a version of intent that that activates your curiosity so that you can actually start building those relationships. So that's good stuff across the board. I know we covered a lot of ground. What's interesting about this entire conversation is that we're not even scratching the surface of all the stuff that you could theoretically do. And this is still fairly high level. We got some tactical in there, and, and I think it's applicable across the board in terms of how you can do it. But I I want to distill this down into making your outreach more effective, whether it's by email or, or, or phone or whatever. What are some of the critical things that a rep needs to do? Maybe the top two or three things that a rep needs to do to make their outreach more effective and convert more of those conversations into bookings. If we want to summarize, I think it's uh, looking at that low-hanging fruit and personalizing the message towards that. Stop with the massive like outreach, like going after a thousand accounts all at once. Doesn't work. Really doesn't work. If you want to, if you want to see good traction, what you need to do is you need to go after a handful of accounts. So let's say I select 10 accounts in a week. How do I select those accounts? I select those accounts by looking at account, looking at companies that have been visiting my website, people that have been downloading stuff from me. And what I do is then I then go after maybe the 10 different personas or different people on that account and start to vary messaging, like personalized messaging towards those specific accounts. If you can do it as well towards specific people, it's not always going to be that possible. But if you can do it more towards personalizing towards specific people, even better. But I would say stop the mass outreach. It doesn't work. So go after a number of people from a handful of accounts. Base those accounts off people that are companies that are visiting your site and companies that are interacting with your brand because they know. So you're definitely going to be hitting more luck if you're going after those specific. That's great. Great advice and feedback, Andy. Before I wrap up, where can people find you? You're everywhere. So what's, what's your preferred channel of outreach? And if you're going to connect with Andy, 
do not pitch slap because he's he'll not... he'll have 15 swear words to hurl at you before he blocks you. There'll be troubles. There'll be <laughs> trouble. So I uh, yeah, best place to get me is probably on LinkedIn, Andy Culligan. You'll find me there, or you can uh, you can come to my website, andyculligan.com. If you need anything at all, please just reach out. As I said, LinkedIn is probably the best place. Awesome. So super thankful and grateful for all of the great tips that you shared with uh, with us and i'm looking forward to getting this out into the wild i will be using this as a you know coaching tool for my internal team i think the stuff that you're talking about is critical for any sales organization to get better at it doesn't matter what level uh you're at i think uh, people can consistently improve their email outreach their cold outreach their phone outreach and the stuff that we just covered here is just scratching the surface so thanks again for joining us on cascading leadership for those that are listening you can find us on all of your social platforms we're on all of your major podcast platforms we're on TikTok. we're on youtube our primary channel is linkedin we're also on facebook Make sure you like, subscribe, leave comments, follow, do all of the things that all the kids are doing these days to to promote shows. And if you like us, make sure you share and we'll look forward to another episode down the road. Andy, thanks for joining us. Thank you for listening to this episode of Cascading Leadership. We hope you enjoyed the story as much as we did. Make sure you subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast player. Follow us on YouTube, TikTok, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. Leave us a review. Tell a friend. If you're interested in sponsoring the show, reach out to me at jim at cascadingleadership.com. Tune in next time for another great episode that will help you move your career further faster.